kind of let's take a running start in at about verse 7. Which I think is really because well we'll back up to verse 3 just a quick observation in I'm in the wrong chapter and that's why I'm having such issues. Okay, um, in verse 3 it says this what he's talking about the same things, verse 2, the same thing awaits for all, all right? One fate for the righteous, one for the wicked. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Incidentally, um, Brian, I was curious what you were reading out of. Um, what in the world is that? It did read pretty good. Yeah, I, I thought it read fine, but yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, sometimes that term is used a bit loosely, but I'm not going to go there this evening. But that's okay, too. Um, so the same fate is for all, both for the, uh, the righteous, the wicked, the good, the clean, uh, the unclean, the wicked and the good, the clean, the unclean, the person who offers a sacrifice, and one who does not sacrifice. Um, the person who swears an oath, the one who is afraid to swear an oath. And it says, this evil in everything that is done under the sun. Remember the phrase, done under the sun, is referring to that which happens in the world. So what is this evil that he's talking about? He's talking about death. As, as, as I, the, the following few, following few verses from verses 4, 5, and 6 kind of unpack for us. And he, he's talking about you know, the same fate, we all die. Nobody gets out of this world alive, um, which I, I find an interesting. And remember, this is inspired scripture, folks. But uh, so I'll just leave it at that. And uh, but so we all we all meet the same fate. And he 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 refers to death as an evil, which I find fascinating because Paul talks about death in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says that the last enemy that will be defeated is death. And, and so, um, we were not originally, and again, take aside the foreknowledge of God, which is a very hard thing to do, but we really, we really, the ideal of creation, of God's initial idea of creation, we were not created to die. And yet, because of sin, sin enters the world, then death enters because of sin, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. And so he, he's kind of, I'm going to have to go back and read some of that some more, because he, but I think it's fascinating how he really is tying in the whole creation concept in uh, kind of the early part of the book of Romans, of, of because of sin, then enters death. Um, and, and then bringing in the need, that's around chapter 3, uh, bringing in the need, chapter 3, chapter 4, and then bringing in the need in chapter 5 of the fact that we've been saved by, by, by grace, those of us who've been justified um, and been saved by the finished work of Christ on the cross, which he did by what? Dying which fascinates me as well if you start thinking about these things because death is the enemy, and yet Christ dies for us. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were at sinners that Christ dies for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So he refers to, to death as being this evil thing, 
And so, knowing that he's speaking to the living, he says, go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Now, I touched on these last week, but when I see bread and wine together in the scripture, what, what, what I think of? Communion. I think of communion. I think of the body and the blood of Christ. And, um, yeah, in- incidentally, because this Sunday is past uh, um, Palm Sunday. Yes, Palm Sunday, this Sunday. Um, so we, we ended Chapter 4 in John at a good time. We're going to take a little break for Palm Sunday and then Easter and then, and then move on. But so go and then and eat your bread with happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. So I think of communion. It, so he... Is he talking about literal bread and literal wine in this passage? Yes, I think he is. But there is also more than, I believe, one meaning that's written down here for us. So the the reference to the bread and the wine is the reference to communion, I think. Bread is also, Jesus described himself in one of the I am statements in the book of John as I am what? I'm the bread of life. Uh, bread also was a representation of manna, which kept the children of Israel alive for 40 years. Um, and the bread that came from heaven. And, and Jesus takes the whole illust- actual story, but he uses the illustration of manna as him being the bread of life. And he is the bread that came down from heaven. And so you eat your bread in happiness and then drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Wine is a symbol in the Old Testament of joy. And it is also, in some places, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And, and so, um, which is, really, that takes on a different, if you think about that, that does take on a little bit different shift in communion. In the Passover, even. Because communion is based on the Passover, of the, of the unleavened bread and, and the wine. Um, it says, for God has already approved your works. Isn't that an interesting, um, too much stuff. Isn't that an interesting description, though? God has already approved your works. So who's he speaking to? I don't know about Everybody. I, I think in, in, now, the book is written to everybody, yes. But I think in that particular statement, he's talking to those who are walking, walking in the Lord. God has already approved your works. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are saved by grace, through faith, not of works. It is a gift, uh, you know, excuse me, we are saved by grace through faith, not, um, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, but the, old, the New Testament, even particularly, is pretty clear that it talks about how we've been, we've been saved uh, unto good works. Paul talks about that. Um, the verse just went right in and out of my mind. I don't know if anybody else, it, you grabbed it or not. Um, but we... we um, Philippians talks about this. 
what well, we have been saved uh, under good works. No, uh, the same chapter, Ephesians 2, talks about it. We've been saved under good works, which we do in Christ Jesus. So God has already approved of our works. So telling us to eat the bread, drink the wine with a cheerful heart, see that your clothes are white all the time, and that there is no lack of oil on your head. Revelation, particularly in the latter part of the book, talks about those who are dressed in white, of having the righteousness of God uh, that they put on. Um, Romans, Paul talks about it in Romans also, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And, and, and really, um, Solomon is, is really going ahead of them on this. He's kind of anticipating this by seeing that your clothes are white all the time. And, and uh, this, this idea of being dressed in white, and also that there's no lack of oil on your head. So when a priest or a king was consecrated, in Israel, in Israel uh, a, a Hebrew priest, uh, a Hebrew king, they would anoint them with oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit covering their lives. And matter of fact, the, the word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach, from which the Greeks get the word Christ, or we also transliterated into an English version of Messiah. It means the anointed. And, and so that one who has been, who has been given this, this covering of the Holy Spirit set apart for a particular purpose, either a king um, or a priest. That, uh, I'm trying, I don't think prophets ever really were anointed. I'm, I'm trying to think if Elisha was. Um, Actually, I don't think he was because there was nobody there to pour oil on him because he took over after Elijah did what? He went up into heaven on a chariot of fire, which I hope somebody got that on video. Um, that, that's an incredible story. So God's already approved our works. So the fact that we have been justified Again, going back to Romans 5. Justification is really the central reason why we can confidently eat our bread, drink our wine, wear white clothes, and have the oil anointed on your head. Um, both in the physical sense, but also these things, I think, represent very deeply spiritual things as well. Uh, of the bread, the wine, the oil, and the, and the garment. Um, so, it's actually, in going back to the, the garment, um, that's Revelation 19, uh, but also Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 4, 5, and 8. Uh, finally found my, my place in my notes. Um, and the anointing is something, really, that all Christians receive. According to 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Um, so, Kind of moving ahead into verse 9. 
I've been reading too many different Bibles today, and I'm having a hard time. There we go. All right. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your futile life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of your futility, for this is your reward in life and in your work, which you have labored under the sun. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny how he puts this. Uh, Septuagint words it differently. English translation of the Greek, right? At every, oh, wrong verse. See life with a woman whom you have loved all the days of your life of futility. Um, this word for life in the Hebrew is a very, very, very broad word. Um, Hayim or hey, um, it's, it's a noun. It, it refers to the state of, of, of our life, our animated life, uh, in contrast to death. It's often given to us in that way. It's given to us a few times in the book of Genesis chapter 2, chapter 27, and in, chap in Job chapter 7. Um, so it's given to us in contrast to death, which is exactly what Solomon is doing here, all right? It can also refer to a nourishment or to food, Proverbs 27, 27. Um, it refers to life having, it, having a prosperous, a bountiful, blessed, favorable circumstances in life. I'm just reading you straight definitions here. Uh, a prosperous, bountiful, blessed, favorable circumstance in life in contrast to the curse of an unfavorable life. Unfavorable life. Um, and that's in Deuteronomy 36, 30, verse 6, excuse me. It's also given to us in Proverbs 15, 24. I'm slowing down because I see that you are writing Proverbs 15, 24 and Proverbs 16, 15. Um, so it's a very, very broad word, but it, it really kind of refers to this idea, and, and I think that the Septuagint actually kind of got it. It says, see life. In other words, view life or look at your life. So it's, it's within the context of the definition is an understanding of, of um, I'm looking at my life and I'm appreciating it for what it is. Hey, Brian, I don't know if you know how to do it or not, but could you turn on those last two rocker switches? Just, just touch the top of them. Uh, t the last one's to the left. That one and, and then that one. Thanks so much. Is that better, guys? Yeah, well, it felt, it, it was feeling dark in here, a little dark. Anyway, um, what's that? Starting to. Well, the bases are bigger now, so um, such as it is. All right, so, uh, so it's this idea of an appreciation of life. That's, that's what this word uh, envelops, if you will. It's not just talking about life as lived. It's, it's really this idea of appreciation of life. And, and the thing is, we've already, again, part of the contrast in this chapter is between life and death. Here in verse 9, we're, 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 we're touching uh, 
on the idea of life and enjoying it. That's why I like the new uh, American Standard 2020 because it says enjoy life uh, with the wife of your youth or, or of your, the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life. That's, it's almost funny though, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, just for fun, Brian, it doesn't say enjoy life or what does it say? Or does it have a word like that at all? Verse 9. I caught you. Okay. To what? To seek. It's, it's implying the idea of searching out. Because most of... Um, I will. It, I don't know if I have a good answer for you, but I think it's a good question. But part of it is, is Strong's is not the best dictionary that's out there. Um, I, what I gave you was from the theological word book of the Old Testament, which is uh, four or five different authors. Um, and, and they're basing it on, on different manuscript evidence even than Strong's. Strong's is a bit old. Um, Bruce Waltke is one of the authors. Um, that's the only one that can come to mind, so I, I can't. Um, there's also another one that, doggone it, I can't even remember the name of it because sometimes I'm just clicking on links, Brian. So, um, but it, so it, it does imply, though, this idea of searching out. Uh, but, but again, it's a very, very full and com compacted meaning if that helps. Uh, and so, you know this, that in all interpretations, there's an element of interpretation. In all translations, there is an element of interpretation. And it, it, it just really, it has to be. I mean, we can only be so neutral. No? Oh, the one. Oh, the one that you were going to read. Yes. Okay. Which is the Septuagint. Mm -hmm. That's what the English uh, Septuagint. Same thing. Same word. NIV for fun. Okay. Mary, uh, Christian Standard. Okay. And the New King James, I think, is live joyfully. Okay, that's right. So, yeah, I, I, so I, I think it's, it's really... Now, you think about what we just did here. For any translator to be probably incredibly thorough and incredibly honest you'd have a whole bunch of footnotes just on that one word in this passage. So sometimes it's that way for brevity as well, I think. You're going to flip a coin or what? I think that's part of it, you know, and, and uh, but that's why I like looking at different translations because there, to me, in my thinking, there's an incorporation of all this into that passage. Yes, you're seeing. Yes, you're evaluating. Yes, you're considering. 
yes, you're giving thought to, but it's also in reference to life is so much better than death, which is the context. Remember, they, a, mo, a good translation is going to take into account the context of the particular passage, not just, well, this word was used that or translated that way in every other passage. So it must be the same here. They're looking at the context. So, um, so the thing is, physical life came to us originally from God, right? Genesis chapter 2, 7. After, I've talked about this already. After the fall, uh, death enters into our experience. Uh, but God continues to be the source of our life. God continues to be the source of life. Psalm 36, 9. And Psalm 139, 13. And of course, he's, the Lord is even described as the Lord of life and death. Um, so, there are, in the Hebrew, and going back to kind of your question, Brian, in the Hebrew, everything is, is so nuanced based on the jot and the tittles, right? The little marks that they make over some of the letters. It is very nuanced based on the type of verb that is associated with the noun. And they have several verb stems. In other words, types of verbs, uh, which to me is, is confusing. Greek is so much easier. Uh, you know, whoever said it's all Greek to me never studied Hebrew. I mean, and in part of it, too, it, to me, it, it's a testimony to how fascinating these people were intellectually and how smart they were and how they really broke things down. And always the challenge of translation from one language to another because it's not just a straight word for word. You know, uh, people who say, I just want a word for word translation, they they think they do they they they're almost impossible to obtain for starters so um so he goes on and he talks about well i'm going to read you one verse in proverbs 12 to, to tie this thing down with life and then um to move on in this particular verse uh, Proverbs 12, verse 28. It says, the, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. All right, so I will probably mispronounce it, but the word death in the Hebrew is the word Almawet, an A-L hyphen M-A-W-E-T, which literally means no death, okay? I found this to be interesting because if you, I don't know if you turned or not, uh, um, Don, because uh, in the NIV, it translates this word Almawet, which the New King James translates as no death. It translates it as immortality. That's how the NIV takes it. So it's this contrast of this word hayim, 
derived from the same word that we're looking at in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9. Um, and the Ugaritic text was another text translates it immorality instead of no death. So there's some precedent there. You see how translation can get, it's, it's you got to, well, I don't know if you flip a coin. You just have to really think and, of course, a Calvinist would flip a coin, Brian, I guess. How's that? But, uh, um, but again, we see this in Proverbs, and the reason why I turned there was see that this word is used as a contrast to death, but in this case, it uses the idea of immortality or no death, uh, where it says that the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway, there is no death, or in its pathway, there is immortality. So, um, back to Ecclesiastes 9. So, it says, enjoy the, the wife whom you love all the days of your futile life. Um, so, this word love is the word ahab, which means to have affection for based on... Now, you can have affection for something and not know a thing about it, can you? That's usually called fantasy, right? But this word refers to the idea, and, and that's how it's interesting how he ties it in, to love uh, your wife uh, or to enjoy life with your wife whom you love, that is, whom you have affection for based on a close relationship. That's what it's talking about. And it's sometimes used uh, as a comparison word to others who have a lesser relationship. So he, he's saying... Enjoy your life with your wife whom you love because you have a close relationship with you. So it's, it's to me, and again, this is just my, my take on this. Um, I don't know if the Septuagint speaks into this at all or not. I may, I may not read to you. Um, oh, yeah, I've already read it to you. Uh, with, a woman, with a woman whom you've loved all the days of your life, right? So it's not a command But how much, especially in the earlier Proverbs, we talk about, or we read, Solomon talks about this idea of loving the wife of your youth and sticking with the wife of your youth. So this is, you know, I, I'm still reading the Proverbs, uh, and I'm, I think I'm going to keep doing it when we're done, because when we get done... Um, Brian's already told me that when we finally get in the end of chapter 12, we're having a big party, and he's, he's going to pay for the uh, refreshments. Uh, so, um, and what's that? That sounds perfect. That sounds perfect. I don't like toppings, but that doesn't mean that and nobody else does. I like it plain, but that's okay. Uh, because then we'll start over and probably do this book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, um, You have to wonder what in the world. But I, and I hate to go down this road, but you have to wonder if he had a favorite or two. You have to wonder if he had, 
some that he actually loved. I think there's a combination when you're talking about inspiration. Again, my view of inspiration might be different than yours, which means that yours is probably not right, but that's okay. Um, um, I'm kidding. But I, th I think God works with the instrument. And I think God takes the experience and understanding level, the comprehension level with the person who was called to write the God-breathed uh, Word of God. And, you know, we, 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 we talk about inspiration, but the reality is the more accurate term is that it's God-breathed. And that God breathed, just, just as God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul, I mean, that's a really good possibility because he looked at his own life and he realized how far off the mark he really was. And maybe that's why he keeps going back to this theme of vanity. I mean, that's, a, that's I, I never really kind of looked at it like that, Larry, but that's, that's a really a possibility. It's singular. It's singular, yes. Um with the wife whom you love, uh, the wife that you have affection based on a close relationship. Notice it's not a close relationship based on affection. It's the other way around, which is important. Um, and it can be a, a, a love that ha is based on a relationship that is familiar you know, or, or even a, uh, um, it even really refers to a love that's based on romance and attraction. But it's mainly a love that has affection based on a close relationship. Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the uh, commentators and encyclopedias, I think it was Lonida, if you're curious, uh, you can look that one up. Uh, L-O-U-W, I think, hyphen N-I-D-A, Brian. Um, it, it says, that is, uh, have a desire for an object based on desirability with a focus on a preference of one thing over another, which goes back to what you were saying, Larry, having a preference of one thing over another. You got all these wives, I mean, you know, yeah. You have to think that that was probably the case um, and he refers to life as meaningless or vain or vanity or a vapor it's the same Hebrew word he's been using all along in the book Habel H-E-B-E-L so <clears throat> this thought just came to me and I'm it's always dangerous to think out loud but I'm going to do it anyway. I wonder if it's possible that vapor might be a better translation, referring not so much to the vanity 
as much of a negative thing as life being a vapor being a brief thing. Brief. A short. Fleeting. I've never read that translation, but yeah, so yeah, that does give the idea. Um, it says fleeting in the Christian standard. Futility in the, in the uh, Septuagint, I'm curious what the Greek would say and how that, what to tear that Greek word apart. But I, I mean, is it both? Vanity is, is in a negative thing or vapor is in a fleeting or brief or short thing? <laughs> if you must. No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Which you wouldn't find fleeting in there at all, would you? So. No, here, I'm li- so you did it, so I'm going to go out on a limb. All right. Um, I can't even remember when Strong's was compiled and, and published. And was it based on the Texas Receptus? Now, that I don't know either. Texas Receptus is the, a, Greek, uh, a Greek New Testament, but it's based on um, manuscripts that are not necessarily very old. Uh, that's what the King James, 1611. Now, I'm going, I'm talking about New Testament here, not Old Testament, okay? Um, but after the King James was published, well after, there was all kinds of different archaeological finds, including the Dead Sea Scrolls, that were really older manuscripts, and... In translation science, older manuscripts are considered better and more trustworthy um, because there was less of a chance that many people had opportunities to mess with them, either make mistakes in their translation and, and all that. Remember, before the printing press, everything was translated, was copied by hand. And so there was a potential for error there. Um, the Texas Receptus, I want to say that those Greek manuscripts were pre-printing pressed, but everything else that was found after the Texas Receptus that comes from an earlier date, follow me, was translated, excuse me, copied by hand. Okay. Um, so, So you enjoy life with your wife. Um, and, and again, Proverbs talks a bit about, quite a bit about, uh, of, of remembering the wife of your youth. And again, particularly in, I find it interesting, particularly in the earlier 
chapters in Proverbs, there's, there's these very, very strong warnings um, about being faithful to your wife. And let's see if I can pull one out real quick. I didn't, I didn't throw this in my notes. Um, the end of three, I think, is one I'm, I was... Um, Yeah, the one I was thinking of actually was in Proverbs 7. It says, now therefore listen to me, my children. I'm starting in verse 24 of Proverbs 7. Pay attention to the words of my mouth and do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So that's, that's pretty strong language. Uh, he's talking about adulterous women. Um, so you're to love her, the, the wife whom you have loved, all the days of your futile, vaporous, futile, uh, what was it again? Fleeting, thank you, uh, life, which he's given you under the sun that all the days of your futility, for this is your reward in life and in your work which you have labored under the sun. So, while this sounds almost negative, he's really, he's, I, I think what he's touching on here, and we only have like a minute, so um, he's talking about being content where you're at. And because we only have a minute, I think I'm going to pick up that theme a little bit more and develop that a little bit more um, next time. How's that? But I think he's talking about being content. Um, gosh, I can't shut up now because a lot of people are not content. They're not content. Everything. But so, yeah, because, of, because uh, this is your reward in life and in your work which you have labored under the sun.